retirement and then Tim is the boss and we have an under anyways. You got it. This morning, this morning there's a Turkish proverb that says, trust in God but tie your camel. I'd like to reverse that a little bit with this proverb, tie your camel but by all means trust in God. Somebody really smart said that. You can guess who that is. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 says this. Come now. Like, come on now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there buying and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Poof. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, when people read this passage, a lot of times they get the impression that James, Jesus' brother, was sort of down on planning, that he was against planning. And I understand why some people say that, because didn't Jesus say, do not worry about your life, uh, for tomorrow will take care of the things of itself. And, but that's where my agreement ends, because Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. He did not say, don't plan for tomorrow. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. He didn't say, don't think about it. You can think about tomorrow, but just don't worry about it. And thinking and worrying are very similar. Worrying is a kind of thinking. Jesus did say that. And in the Gospels, Jesus actually said, before you build a tower, you need to take stock and count the cost. So Jesus wasn't anti-planning, and neither was his brother, James. But when we read this text, some people conclude that James is telling us we shouldn't. Now, as we read this, I want you to think about your life. I know some of you, how many of you would consider yourself a planner? Okay. Uh, how many of you already have major plans that you've been living out here in 2016? Okay. How many of you would consider yourself non-planners or more spontaneous? Okay. Notice I didn't say impulsive. <laughs> spontaneous is a, is a nicer way of, of saying impulsive, right? Uh, how many of you like to... Uh, live by the edge of your, of your seat. <laughs> I should say it that way. Based on James's comments here, I just want to share three thoughts with you this morning. And I think James is telling us this morning, number one, that life is too short not to have a plan. Evidently, James believed this because in verse 14 he says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. James was talking to Christians, Christ followers. And we have to be clear on the perspective he was giving them. James is trying to tell us that life is short, very short. How short is life? How much time do any of us really have? Uh, Joey Ryman makes this statement. He says, I've often told people to check their birth certificate and to imagine the number, 700,000 is in the corner of their birth certificate. 700,000. 
That's your net worth. The amount of hours the average person has to live and how you invest those hours is completely up to you. The Bible says that our years are 70, if by reason of strength, 80. So 700,000 is about the number of hours you and I will live on the earth, give or take. That may seem like a lot of time, but it's not when you begin to understand how quickly time flies. Now, James is saying, what is your life? What is the value of time in your life? I ran across this short saying called the value of time, and I wanted to share it with you. To understand the value of one year, ask a student who has failed a final exam. To understand the value of one month, ask a mother who has just given birth to a premature baby. To understand the value of one week, ask the editor of a daily online newspaper. To understand the value of one hour, ask two romantic lovers who are waiting to meet. To understand the value of a minute, ask the person who just missed the plane or the bus or the train. To understand the value of one second, ask the person who just avoided an accident. And to understand the value of a one millisecond, ask the Olympian who just won the silver medal. Time has certain value in our life, and and we only have a certain amount of it. James is trying to tell them, you're going on and on and on about all your plans. And you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And you're boasting about it. Man, you got, come on. Come on, guys. You see, time is always more valuable than money. If you lose money, you can get more of that. But if you lose time, you can't, you can't ever get it back. You can't ever get it back. You ever boiled water? Watch the vapors rise? James is saying that's what your life is like. Right? We, we get to be on this planet for a little while. And then one day, we're not. And it's that quick. James says we're here for a short time. I like this poem called The Indispensable Man. It says sometime when you're feeling important, sometime when your ego's in bloom, sometime when you take for granted you're the best qualified in the room, sometime when you feel that you're going would leave an unfillable hole, just follow this simple instruction and see how it humbles your soul. Take, it a bu- take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to the wrist. Pull it out, and the hole that's remaining is a measure of how you will be missed. You may splash all you please when you enter. You can stir up the water galore, but stop and you'll find in a minute that it looks quite the same as before. The moral in this quaint example is to do just the best that you can. Be proud of yourself, but remember, there's no indispensable man. Does that depress you? (laughs) It shouldn't. Actually, that should light a fire under you to actually do something with this one life that God has given to you. Life is too short not to have a plan. Life is too short not to have a plan. We have a little time, not a long time. Now, most people, the paradox is most people don't even plan much of their life. Uh, John Cotter, leadership expert, says, most people don't lead their life, they accept their life. In other words, they don't happen to things, they just let things happen to them. 
They just go throughout their day and whatever flies in their way, that's what they take as it comes. But there's no forethought. There's no planning. There's no preparation. What I, what I like to say sometimes, and I've read it before, is if you don't prepare, you'll have to repair. And so a lot of times what we don't spend in preparation, we have to spend in repairing things that we didn't do when we should have. So he talks about planning, and he says that we need to have a plan. Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many plans in a man's heart, nevertheless the Lord's counsel. That will stand. So we need to have a plan. You do need to tie up your camel, so to speak. You do need to lock your doors. You do need to do what you need to do. But you also need to trust God. You see, James was talking to a bunch of planners. They were saying, he said, come on now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will. That's their plan. We will go to such and such a city. Now, these folks had a plan. Let me tell you, these guys had a plan. And we all do this, and we will, you know, and they're saying, we're going to go do this and that, and we're, we're going to have a plan. You know, we've got a, a year plan, a five-year plan, a ten-year plan, and they were working their plan. That's what they were doing. And James interrupts their plan and says, great. Good job, guys, that you have a plan. But there's something else that I need to tell you. Is there anything wrong with planning? No. Is there anything wrong with buying? No. Is there anything wrong with selling? No. Traveling? No. It wasn't their planning, buying, selling, or traveling that was the problem. It was their boasting. Boasting. Which basically means they were planning without praying. That's what it means. They were planning. They were making grand plans. They just weren't praying about their plans. They weren't seeking God, asking his consultation. God, is this the plan you want for my life? I mean, it feels good to me. (laughs) It feels right for me, but God, how does it feel to you? As a matter of fact, the second thought this morning is he was saying to them, God is too big to leave out of your plans. Life is too short not to have a plan. You need to have a plan. But while you're planning, just make sure you include God in your plans. By the way, he's way too big to leave out of our plans. A plan is a guide, not a God. Your schedule is your servant, not your master. Your calendar is there to serve you, not to master you. A lot of people are mastered by their calendars, and they're mastered by their schedules. And if they get off schedule or off routine, I mean, they would have a conniption if God interrupts their plans. Do you know what I'm saying? By the way, how do you feel when God interrupts your plans? Are you open to that? How many of you have ever had God do something like that where you've got a plan going and he just messes up your plans? I've had that happen. They've been some of the most meaningful moments in my life. Some of the most life-changing moments in my life. I had a plan. It wasn't God's plan. And God had to interrupt my plan and say, no, this is what I want you to do, Brad. And it became unforgettable. It was a divine appointment. I'm not saying that you wake up every morning and you go, you know, Lord, where, where should we eat this morning? Should we eat at Hardee's or McDonald's? Then again, 
I've, I've led people to the Lord at Wendy's before. I don't know. God's just too big to leave out of your plans. I mean, when you don't include God, you're missing a very important factor. A lot of people put more confidence in their plans than they do their God. Pastor Tim and I both have a recurring nightmare. It's amazing what Pastor Tim and I have in common. Um, it's funny. I, I told I was telling him about this dream I had. He goes, what? He goes, I have that dream too. It's the dream that, here's, here's the dream. We're both standing up here sharing God's word with you, and we forgot our notes. It's a recurring nightmare. But here's the, here's the catch. I must rely on the Holy Spirit more than I do my notes. I must rely on God more than I do my plan. Does that make sense? Does that work? All right. We hear you, Lord. (laughs) Why don't we just stop for a moment and acknowledge his presence? He's here. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your sense of humor. We thank you, Father, that you're able to come into our midst. and, And Lord, this is about you. This is about you. This is about you. Father, we're so thankful that your presence is here. We're thankful that your people are here. Lord, open us up. Speak to us this morning. Say to us what your spirit would say and help us to obey. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. In verse 15, James says, instead, instead of all this boasting, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. We shall live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, I'll have a working microphone, right? It's that kind of deal. If the Lord wills, I'll get through this message. If the Lord wills, we'll do what we do. He was saying, you need to remind yourself who's actually in control, who's in charge. Now, uh, if there were such a thing as taxes in heaven, every April 15th came around in heaven and God had to file his taxes, you would find your name on his tax return as a dependent because God has decided once you give your life to Christ, he's decided to take you to raise. He feels responsible to feed you. He feels responsible to take care of you. He feels responsible to preserve you. He feels responsible, and he is by his own word. He claims you to take care of you. But these Christians weren't acting like that. They were acting like God had no claim on their life. They were living what we call practical atheism. You know what practical atheism is? Practical atheism is this. You give a nod to God. Yeah, I know the big man's up there. But then in in reality, day to day, you operate as if he's not really relevant. Like, if you pray, you don't really expect to get an answer. 
Or you just don't pray because long ago you realized, well, you know, I got to take care of myself and God's not going to bail me out. And yet God says that's a, that's a mistake. It's a mistake to plan without praying. It's a mistake to plan without including God in your plans. And, and non-Christians, people that don't know the Lord are not the only ones that do this. Christians do this all the time. You see, you've entered a relationship with God. You know, before I was married, I only really had to think about myself. I didn't have to call home and and tell Nicole I'll be 20 minutes late for dinner because there was no Nicole to call. I didn't have to worry about the kids. There were no kids. But then when I entered into this relationship, I had to think about more than myself. I had to think about my partner. I had to think about how my actions would influence my wife. And in very similar way, it's like that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus. You have to think about, when I go to this place, I take Jesus with me, how will that affect him? When I say this word, or these, this phrase, or I, I, I say this to this person, I'm representing Jesus. How will that represent God? Is God's reputation safe with you? It's important as we look at this. He's saying, I don't want you to boast about this. He says, I want you to include God. You, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. Now, there's a lot of benefits to saying, if the Lord wills. We used to say, if the Lord wills and the creek don't rise, this is what we're going to do. Saying, if the Lord wills, I'll do such and such, actually gives our plans more possibilities. Did you know that? Like, when I sit down to plan... And if I don't include God, me by myself, I'm just a small thinker. I'm a small thinker. I don't want to risk much. I don't want to do much. I don't want to go out on the line. I don't want to stick my neck out for too much. But when God comes into my plans, he's so big that he actually expands the possibilities that I can even imagine and think of. I think... Well, you know, God, it'd be great if I could have like five people come to the service this morning. God goes, why not 500? Well, that'd be great, God. I mean, it'd be great if we had 500 people come. He says, why not 5,000? It's a lot of people in the community. Don't think so small. Hey, what if God has not allowed you to succeed at that small little thing you're doing right now because he has something bigger for you? What if? It's just a thought but it could change your life. So it expands my possibilities. God is so big, he's a big thinker. See, I know that unless God involves himself in our plans, nothing will go forward. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. I can have blueprint after blueprint after blueprint, but if God doesn't get involved and put his fingerprint on my blueprint... Nothing's going to happen. It just won't fly. Saying it the Lord wills makes me ask myself, are my plans big enough? Secondly, saying it the Lord wills, I'll do such and such, helps me plan with the right priorities. You see, when I actually use that phrase, would you say this phrase with me? Say this phrase with me for a moment. On the count of three, I want you to say, if the Lord wills. One, two, three. If the Lord wills. Remember that phrase. If the Lord wills. Helps me plan with the right priorities. So when I start off and I include God in my plans, 
I'm making his will the priority, not my will. It's not that God doesn't want you to have your way whenever your way is what he wants for you. He wants you to have your way sometimes. God says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. God works through our desires. The Bible says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Some of the desires that you have in your life are God-given and God-driven. They're good. And it's God who gave them to you, and it's God who motivates them. Because he wants you to do his will. Sometimes people say, you know, let me, let me just share how this works in real life. Let's say that I'm sitting down to plan a personal financial budget for my family. And I budget utilities and electric and water and cable. And by the time I get down to the end of my budget, I finally come to the tithing category. And I say, well, there's not much left, God. I guess you'll get some next month. No, no, here's what you do. You just say, if the Lord wills, I will tithe or give this much this month or year. And you just invert that sucker. You invert that budget. And rather than pay yourself first, you pay God first. You give to God what is his. You return to him what he is, belongs to him. That's keeping your priorities straight in your planning. Does that make sense? That, that's all I'm saying is that's a practical example of how you include God in your plans. You include God by including his principles. Principles like love your neighbor as yourself. How can I include that in my plan? Things like tithe, bring your tithe into the storehouse. How can I include that in my plans? Things like go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. How do I include that in my business plan? Some of you are businessmen and women. How do you include the Great Commission in your business? It's a very important question. You can. Number three, saying if the Lord wills, I will do such and such, gives my plan security. I don't know about you, but it just makes me feel good when God's involved in something. The Bible says, commit your plans to the Lord, and he will establish them. Commit them to God, and he'll establish them. He will prosper the work of your hands when you commit your plans to the Lord. God will do this for you, and it gives us security. It's a good feeling. So life's way too short not to have a plan. James says, have a plan, but God's way too big to leave him out of him. Thirdly, you know too little to be boasting. <laughs> That's what he's saying to them, guys. You know the Lord, and you know that the Lord knows everything, but you don't. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. You think you have an idea. You think you know what the stock market might do, but you're not sure. You think that because the sun rose tomorrow... Everything will be just the same, or just the same today as it, tomorrow as it is today. And God says, you know too little to be boasting. How can you brag about what you're going to do, be doing in a year, and you don't even know what's going to happen to you tomorrow? And again, I want to emphasize, James is not saying you shouldn't have a plan. He's simply saying that we're going about it the wrong way. They were boasting about their plans. And he says in verse 16, but now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Wow. <laughs> That's kind of heavy language. Like he just didn't say, hey, you know, when you're doing some self-promotion and you're bragging a little bit on yourself and you kind of name drop and you 
put on Twitter how honored you are to do this and that. You know, he says, he says you know, he, he doesn't just say that's a mistake. He says it's evil. E-V-I-L. Evil. Arrogance is pride. Planning was not their problem. Pride was their problem. Pride. If you make your plans in a spirit of humility, that's good. If you make your plans in a spirit of pride, that's bad. Do you realize what this is saying? He's saying it's better to be humble and stupid than it is to be prideful and smart. God will cause all of the wisdom of human beings to come to nothing in his infinite wisdom. John Ruskin once said, pride is at the bottom of all great mistakes. Pride is at the bottom of all great mistakes. <laughs> it's like the, the beaver who told the rabbit as they stared up at the wall of the Hoover Dam, no, I didn't actually build it myself, you know, but it is based on an idea of mine. That's pride. You know, everything around you somehow you see as an extension of you. And it's not. It isn't. It distorts the way you see things. Pride was distorting the way these first century Christians were planning and seeing their life. James says, you know way too little to be boasting the way you are and be going on and on the way you are. He says, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, make your plans, but man, don't brag so much. You have, your confidence is way overconfident at this point. And James ends in verse 17 this powerful statement. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him or her, it is sin. If you know you should pray while you plan, but you don't, it's sin. If you know you should keep God's priorities first in your planning, but you don't, it's sin. These Christians were committing what's called a sin of omission. Now, there are sins of commission. A sin of commission is when I actively do something I shouldn't. Like, if I walked up to one of you right now, and you stuck out your hand to shake my hand, and I went, that would be a sin of commission. I definitely shouldn't do that. I would be doing something wrong. But if I come up to one of you and you stick out your hand and I shake your hand and I go, come here, brothers don't shake hands, brothers got a hug. And we hug and then I walk away and I see my friend and I go, can you believe this other person I just said hey to? Oh my goodness. And then I walk away and in my heart, I hate you. Then I'm doing something that's called a sin of omission. In some ways. It's not that I'm doing anything to hurt you per se. It's just that I'm not doing really anything to help you either. And we can sin in both ways. James says, if there is good that I know I should do, but I refuse to do it or I fail to do it, then I've sinned before God. And I think this is how a lot of Christians sin against God. We don't steal money from our boss or our job. We just don't work as hard as we could. That would be a sin of omission. We don't deny God openly like Peter did. We just don't witness for him either. We just sort of remain silent. 
The first example in both cases is a sin of commission, and the second in both is a sin of omission. You see, God wants you and I to plan. You have plans for today. When we leave this place, you've got plans, you've got thoughts, and you've got ideas about what you want to do, how you want to spend your day today. Some of you will be watching NFL games. Some of you will be just relaxing. Some of you will take a nap. Some of you will hang with some friends. Whatever it is you have ideas about doing, you have a P-L-A-N. But so does God. God has a plan for you. God has some ideas about how he would like you to spend this afternoon. Did you know that? And you don't have time to do everything. You're right. You have just enough time to do God's will. If you do everything in the right priority, you may not get everything done you want to, but you can get everything done God wants you to. If you do his will. Hank Aaron once said, Dad always said you could fall off the same ladder you climbed up on. You can be a planner, but then you can let that plan be a straitjacket on you rather than let God lead you in your planning. You see, how how do we really apply this message this morning? Therefore, in verse 17, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I have a question, and I just, I need your feedback. Would this be a stretch if I read it this way? Therefore, to him or her who knows they should invite a friend to friend fest, but do not do it, to them it is sin. How do you feel about that? Now, as, as pastors, the Bible encourages us to find creative ways to move and motivate God's people to do God's work. Last week, we referenced a top 10 list. And I asked many of you to write down the names of actual friends. You know, the name, not Kevin Costner, Mel Gibson. Uh, you know, I mean, actual people that you know that you would like to invite to FriendFest. And so many of you wrote names down. And you brought them down to the two buckets that were here, and we prayed over them. Pastor Glenn, our pastor of outreach, prayed a prayer of blessing, a dynamic prayer over them. Now, here's what I want us to do to end this message together. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, and I'm not going to ask you to bring a card up front. What I am going to ask you to do is, did you receive a card this morning? Did you receive a top ten card? If you did, I want to ask you to put three names on there. Just write three names to get yourself started. And what I want us to do, I want you to hold on to it. I don't want you to give it to anybody. I just want you to hold on to it. It's for you. It's for you. And it's for you and the Lord. And I want to ask you now, if you will, just as God is speaking to your heart, as I'm speaking to you, maybe God's bringing to mind some people that he's been laying on your heart. And maybe you haven't had the courage yet to ask that person. Confession time. Can I make a confession to you? We're going to keep it real here at Crossroads, okay? All right, this week, I have physical therapy, and I wanted to invite my physical therapist down here, and I chickened out. So here's what I need you to do. 
next Sunday, somebody in this audience, somebody in this congregation come up to me and go, Brad, did you invite your physical therapist? I need that accountability. Can we do that for one another? Are we a family or aren't we? We can do that. We need to encourage one another so that when we have those moments, we have the courage. Let's pray boldness for one another. So I'm writing down a name here, and I want somebody to ask me next Sunday, Pastor Brad, did you invite your physical therapist? And then I'm going to say, none of your business. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, yes, (laughs) I did. I did this week. You see, we need one another this way. I need you to do that for me. And you need others to do that for you. Because sometimes our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. So let's pray for one another. So I'm adding a name. Would you add a name to your list? Somebody that maybe you really, you know, you think, if only I could get so-and-so to come. That'd just make my day. If only, write their name down. I wrote three down. That's going to get me going. Can we pray this morning together? Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to do something special October 16th. Friend Fest. We're making plans. and We're including God in these plans. As a matter of fact, the very commission of God is guiding our plan. We're not just throwing a big party on the 16th. We're going into all the world and making disciples. That's what we're doing. And we're having fun while we do it. Let's pray this morning.